and welcome to Next Steps for Business. Now today, Marie, we've talked about exit strategy before, and we both believe strongly in start with the end in mind. Yeah. And part of that whole area, we've spoken to Lindsay before, haven't we? Lovely Lindsay. Yes, the, the lovely Lindsay. And we've talked about how important it is to consider your legal status, you know, on your exit strategy and how you can benefit from not paying as much tax or that sort of a whole area. But you've got sort of three parts to this, isn't there? Some sort of holy trinity from how I understand it. <laughs> the holy trinity of trusted advisors, that's what it is. You've got your legal advisor your accounting and tax advisor, and then you've got your financial advisor. So we've spoken to you and we've spoken to Lindsay, and no doubt we'll end up with speaking to Lindsay again or another legal rep. So you know what we could really do is speak to now somebody on the financial advice or the IFA sort of side of things. Can you help me out? I do have a fair few contacts in that area, actually, and funnily enough, I've lined one up to talk to us today. So we're going to talk to Andrew Golter today, who I will refer to as Andy. So why don't we uh, bring Andy in and have a chat? Fantastic. What if she fought for her? Morning, Andy. Welcome. Ah, thanks for having me, guys. Glad to take the time. Tell us a little bit about you and what you do. So I'm Andy Golter. I'm a financial advisor. I work for Mattioli Woods. My day mostly involves drinking lots of coffee and talking to people about what they want to achieve in life. The coffee is essential. The chat is necessary. Uh, and we go from there. <laughs> no two days are the same. So it varies. Uh, everyone's got a different life story. And it's a lot of fun. I genuinely really enjoy being involved in, in helping people get to where they want to get to or understand what they've got in some cases. Um, so it's never the same two days in a row, but it's a case of helping people protect themselves, look after their money, things that they own and have worked for, and understand what its value is to them. And then it's to make suggestions and recommendations and say, you know, if you, if you tweak this, if we look there, if we look to achieve this, this is what the outcome could be. How do you feel about it? Mm. So it's it's nice. And it's asking a lot of questions. Do you understand? How do you feel about that? Is that right? Is that wrong? Do you want to do more? Do you want to do less? So yeah, that's me in a nutshell. Mostly uh, at the moment um, via Zoom or via Microsoft Teams rather than in person, which used mm. to be the case. So, so, so you have to put up with your own coffee now then, Andy? Uh, I do. Uh, the, the standard, I, I'm quite happy with it. I made a few judgments <laughs> early in lockdown. And depending on what I've got on, there might be a cafetiere next to me on the desk, uh, <laughs> just knowing I've got to get from start to finish. I have to say, I'm, I'm really pleased that you pointed out the difference between essential and necessary. I thought that was very good. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> it's very true. So when it comes to, you just said about helping people and asking them uh, how they feel about stuff. And that's all about making them feel comfortable because when it comes to the sorts of things that you do, I know a little bit from what I do, it's people's money. They can often be very unsure, not knowing what options are available to them, what they can do, what they can't do, what they should do, what they should have done already maybe and not looked at yet. So what are the sorts of things that you recommend to people when you first sit down and have a conversation with them? We look a bit deeper. We've got to go and actually understand what you've got. 
Often on the surface, it can look like one thing, but there can be added benefits. Some old pensions, for instance, have guarantees attached to them, annuity rates or a minimum amount that they are going to pay you or a certain rate of return. Well, it might look like a low value, but actually when you take the guarantee into account, actually it's worth something a bit more that you didn't quite know, you didn't quite understand. And from an advice perspective, I've now got enough experience where I can look at a document and say, okay, that's probably that, but I need to go and ask the provider. So we usually do letters of authority to gain information just to say, yep, this is this, this is that, this is the other. You need to be able to talk with as much certainty you can in an uncertain world. Everything's moving around you. So anything you can nail down and go, yep, this is how this works, is actually a real string to your bow to say, yeah, we've got a plan moving forwards. Sometimes it's understanding where people are in their their own situation. One I get a lot of is, oh, that pension's not worth anything. That fund's not worth anything. Well, it's actually worth something because it's there. It has a value. Okay. Oh, that's only going to pay me a thousand pounds a year. What's the point? Well, if you're taking into account all of the different elements that you might have at retirement, that thousand pounds could actually be crucial. It might not be a lot of money on its own, but with everything else taken in the whole on a holistic basis, it could be essential. It could be the difference between making a sustainable retirement or something that's going to fall short. Mm -hmm. And it covers things like life assurance as well. Are you actually protected? Uh, Are you as protected as you think you are? Or in situations, are you achieving what you want to? So classically, a lot of us will have protection against the value of our mortgage, Mm -hmm. a decreasing term assurance policy. So it will run out at the same time the mortgage will run out. And that's great security. If the worst happens to you and you've got a wife, kids or husband and kids who are who are going to survive you, the mortgage is paid off. That's handled. But then it's saying to someone, right, well, your spouse now has two kids to look after and one pair of hands to do it with and one stream of income to do it with as well. Is that going to be enough? Does there need to be something else put in place to make sure that the kids can get to 18 to 21? that your wife is supported in retirement. It's never the same for two people. You can't say, and you need some life assurance, and you need some family income benefit, and you need to put more in your pension, or you need to do more investment. But you've got to be able to not only ask what you've got, but challenge and say, actually, is that enough? Have you thought about what happens Mm. in this scenario? So it's, yeah, it's, as I I say, never dull. And and yeah, go through like that. Is it a case of sort of starting with the end in mind, which is something we say from a business point of view, but This is starting with what you see your retirement being and working back from there, because it's not something a lot of people think about, I think. But actually, if they're not thinking about it, they're not planning for it. They're going to get a bit of a shock when they come to what they might have to uh, survive on financially when they do come to retire. So is that often a place that you start? It is. Sometimes it's, it's a bit tricky to get that information and it's something I'd encourage everyone to do. So it starts fundamentally understanding where you are. What do you earn? What have you got? What are you putting aside already? What do you need? And then in retirement, what what do you need as an income? So I'll put it on you guys, put you on the spot. What do you think you need as an income in retirement based on current uh, numbers from age 60? 
It's I'm a bit closer to that than Marie is. So perhaps oh, Dave, you're like 21, mate. You've got all the time in the world. <laughs> Permanently 21. I think yeah. actually the way I behave when it comes to sports, probably about 15. <laughs> so don't go snowboarding with me. Um, but when you start looking at these sort of things, you know, we've got to work out, have all the mortgages been paid off? You know, I mean, what are the other outgoings? And also, what's the sort of lifestyle that you're going to do? I've talked on many of these podcasts about the amount of hobbies I've got. Now, fortunately, most have needed quite a big setup cost, if you like. So be it photography or diving or so the running costs of those hobbies isn't too expensive. But if you're into something like sailing or powerboats or something like that, which require annual servicing, which are very expensive and, and whatever else, the provision then is completely different to somebody who basically wants to I know somebody who he's got a brilliant little idea when it comes to his retirement he's going to buy himself a camper van and basically wants to walk the entire stretch of the south coast doing all the different trails that's amazing now apart from pub lunches Mm -hmm. he's got a goal do you know what I mean he's worked it all out Mark you know who you are on this one but um, I think that's brilliant because it's got everything you need to have you know what I mean? You've worked out the running costs. It's not expensive, but there's a lot of purpose in it. You'll see an enormous amount, et cetera, et cetera. I was speaking to somebody the other day, and we were just chatting about where he's taking his business. I said, so what are you going to do in retirement? And he sort of looked at me and went, well, I've got the dogs. Yeah. You know what I mean? And after the tumbleweed had finished passing <laughs> by, the question there is, so, so, so why, why are we trying to bring your exit plan forwards? Mm-hmm. What we actually need to do, and it's a similar sort of provision when it comes to my consultancy and, and working with some of these business owners. You've got that that approach where you've got to work out what are you going to do after that. So for me personally, I know what I want to do, and I will have a very full retirement whenever I actually finally retire. So I won't answer that question straight away from 60, but that's because I've thought this through quite a lot. Good. That makes you a bit of an outlier in some cases because people really mm. haven't. And if there's an issue I come across is that we're talking too late. I'm selling the business in three months and I need to structure my retirement. Mm. If we'd been talking three years ago, we could structure. We could diversify. We can make sure you've got multiple sources. So that's what I'd always encourage anyone to do. There are financial advisors out there. Go and get them. Mm. Go and find them. Look them up local, national, small independents, other types of providers, they've all got their different values. Look up who you're comfortable working with and start asking some questions. A lot of people say, oh, I've not got enough money to make it worthwhile talking to a financial advisor. In many cases, you don't know that Mm -hmm. yet. And you don't know where you could get to if you look at X, if you look at Y, if you look at Z, if you've got available cash. What I need from a person is actually a feeling about what they want to achieve. I had a case where actually someone told me exactly when they wanted to retire, just stopped. They're going to go and farm. That was actually what they did kind of as a job, but they were going to go full-time farming, really not going to make much of a salary from it, just really enjoyed working the land. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. And they wanted an income. They wanted 50 grand a year. And we went through the asset base and I said, wow, you've got some significant assets here. That's not an issue. What else are you going to do? It's like, well, I don't play golf. I was like, well, that's that's an acquired taste. Not not everyone's into golf. What else are you going to do? What's the dream? What do you want to do? So I do love F1. I was like, all right, well, what do you do about that? Well, I used to go to Silverstone. I've always wanted to go all the way around and follow an F1 season around the world. Now, that's mm. an objective. That is an objective yeah. for someone to say, you know what? That's your dream. 
there's probably a limited time window in which you're going to be able to do with that severely constricted by covid at the moment but actually that goes in to the advisors you know what actually you want to do this right how much money do we need to put aside to do that for you and that seems like a, a case for an affluent individual who's got a lot of money but actually understanding the dreams for for everyone is important i hear a lot of bucket lists i want to go to new zealand i want to go around the world i want to go and see xyz why not let's see if we can figure that out let's see if we can arrange that by making sure you're putting cash aside now to achieve those objectives later uh, what i'd say is there's nothing's necessarily out of reach and it doesn't have to be well, you have to give me every penny of yours to invest and we're going to go really high risk, get lots of return. If it's structured right, if you're taking full use of your tax allowances, you can make things very efficient. And the more efficient you are, the more you're going to be able to benefit from it later. But to actually answer the question, because no one gave me an answer, it's projected from <laughs> about 60. For an individual, you're going to need about £33,000 of gross income a year. Okay, I got it into my head. It was around 30, so I wasn't too far out, to be honest. Yeah. But again, that does depend on, and I didn't answer it because my mortgage won't be paid off at 60, but that's because of other investments that I've got going at the moment. But And, yeah. and if the situation works for you and you've got a grasp on it, then brilliant. That's mm -hmm. the thing. I, I guess not everyone necessarily has that. Mm -hmm. And an understanding, you know, to hit that 33 grand a year, you need assets of about £425,000 that can yield you that money and you can access it. So that can be pensions. It could be with some rental property. Mm. That's about a 4% return year on year okay. until it dwindles down to your life expectancy. So positioning yourself is important. It's not just a case of going, and I've got all this cash and everything's going to be fine. As I say, never dull. There's never, never a one size fits all <laughs> for everyone. But surely we're all paying tax. Mm -hmm. We pay an eye. There'll be um, a government pension, won't there, in, in 10 years' time? Uh, so, well, it's it's topical. <laughs> no, <I'm> sorry, <laughs> topical. Um, the single tier state pension is an important part of retirement. Is it going to pay your thirty three thousand projected income? No. Uh, a full single tier state pension this year pays nine thousand one hundred and ten pounds. That's about a third of your projected income. So, mm. what it is is actually it's a chunk. It's got to be taken into account. The problem is that doesn't come into payment until your retirement age. So we're now at a stage where the state pension doesn't kick in till 66 as a minimum mm. in payment already for anyone who would have got it at 65 in a few months. It's going to 66. And then for people born after 1960, it's going out to 67. And people born after 1977, it's going out to 68. Now, that's not great news for people who are in highly physical jobs. Yeah. Still being a firefighter at 66, mm -hmm. still being a physiotherapist at 66. With all of that on there, there's quite a lot of risk. Yeah. You might not be able to actually continue in those roles. So you can prepare a bit for it. Mm -hmm. What will it be when it gets there? It's probably not going to be £9,110. I was just thinking, what is it going to be by the time A... You get to sort of the 80s and the 90s, what will the state pension age be for those people? And then B, what will the actual state pension be? It'll probably be about £4,000 or something crazy by the time we get there. Equivalent, yeah. There's issues there. So it can't be relied on as your sole source of retirement, which is why the government pushed forward with the auto-enrolment scheme to encourage people to save from their salary. 
on an ongoing basis. Now, what that does mean is there's a bit of a squeezed middle with people with not a lot of time to sort of gap fill where they, they've not necessarily made the pension contributions before. But depending on how your working life works out, your level of salary, the relevant level of, of contribution brought to the table by your employer, which is something anyone should really understand. What is my employer giving me as well as just mm -hmm. my salary? Are they matching my pension contributions? I'm putting 5% in, they're putting 5% in. Brilliant. Okay, well, that 5% is, is extra money. It's going towards your retirement. It's going into a tax-free wrapper with a lot of uh, ability to grow in there. But then what people aren't doing is looking at those pensions and understanding how they're invested, what's going on with them, what they're going to be like, and they'll leave them when they move from employment to employment. So a lot of what I do is talking to someone who's got, I've got seven pensions. Brilliant. Right. Let's go and take a look at that. Let's go and see what they're doing. And there's little buildings that come from that as well, which, which need to be taken into account. And is it a case of, is it too late if you get to sort of older in life and you've not started thinking about this? Or is it a case of it's never too old, but you'd need to start thinking about it? Certainly never too old to look and to sit and, and understand. Sometimes the answer has to be from, from having that needs and objectives question is that realistically, staying in line with your attitude to risk and capacity for loss, this is what your income is going to look like. Is that going to be enough? And you can actually say over 50, in some situations, you're in a great place where the kids have flown the nest, they've gone out, and that's actually an expense you're not carrying, classically. Mm. The mortgage will be a bit more under control. It'll likely be a bit smaller as you walk towards the end of it. Not the case for everybody. But what that does mean is you might be in a position with some disposable income. Now, go and have fun with that disposable income, but also look and see what you can, you can regularly save and put aside for it because what's essential with looking at uh, pensions and provision is it's not timing the market it's time in the market if you give yourself enough time you will get the return classically whereas if you're sitting there just trying to pick the spot and i had a couple of inquiries a couple of people over the outbreak of covid when markets fell fairly hard um well, mm. extremely hard in some cases you're like, right, okay, where's the bottom? I don't know. I, 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 that's, I, I can't tell you that. I'm not a forecaster. But what I can tell you is if we start putting aside the regular sum at this rate of return that sort of fits with your level of risk, then this is where we can come out. And we could be close to it. We might be above it. We might be slightly below it. But this is what we're targeting. So that's where the advice comes in and actually understanding your options and what you've got. So it's great for those people who are employed. You've mentioned about the company matching it or, or whatever else. But a lot of people who listen to our show are actually entrepreneurs. So they haven't got the man matching the pensions, contributions, whatever else. Without putting words in your mouth or at least trying to lead you down a particular route. But for those, you know, it could be micro SMEs uh, where it's, it's one, two person bands or a small operation that have it or even medium sized SMEs. It's so important for them to also consider having the pension schemes set up for their own future and also their employee loyalty as well, isn't it? By doing the, right, you make a contribution, we'll match it or we'll beat it or, or whatever else to encourage them to invest for their future just as, you know, as well as their own. Is that fair? 
Uh, definitely. So employee benefits is part of what we do at Mattioli Woods. I work on the wealth management side, which tends to be an individual basis, but mm-hmm. we have an employee benefits arm as well. And that is going into employers and helping employers communicate to their staff, this is what you've got. This is what we're giving you over and mm-hmm. above that salary. Um, it's something very important and close to my heart because prior to becoming a financial advisor, I was a business owner in the printing industry in Stoke-on-Trent. Mm. And I suffered a couple of losses of staff where they were offered a couple more grand to walk 200 meters down the road. And what I saw was someone I'd put five, six, seven years worth of effort into to training and developing and becoming the person I needed. And I watched them walk for a couple of grand. And it was a couple of grand I didn't I didn't have in the back pocket to suddenly go, okay, yeah, no, we can match your salary. Mm-hmm. And and that's a loss of talent. So it's more than just, okay, well, I'll just get another person in. The job they were doing was highly technical and skilled. Whereas if they'd understood mm-hmm. I was matching their pension contributions up to 10% if they wanted to put that in. I was mm. providing death in service benefit, which meant that they received three times salary as a lump sum upon death, that they also had access to private health care, which they could contribute to and, and go with that. That's a different mm. package. That's not just a case of going, well, I'd get 30 if I went over there instead of 28 where I am here. Actually, long term. So that communication is essential. Mm. For the entrepreneur and the SME, saving for your retirement is essential because your key asset is your business. Mm. That's where your focus is. It's where all your time and effort is going. And from experience, I can talk about how I put my head down and just plowed everything into the business and spent so little time taking care of myself and sitting there Mm. going, right, am I doing this? Am I doing that? At the end of the day, when you're responsible for staff, when you're responsible for for business, you're the last one to get paid. You need to pay your suppliers, you need to buy your stock, you need to be ready for business, you need to make sure your staff are taken care of, and the tax man. And after all of that, you can sit there and go, right, what have I got? And you have the ability as an entrepreneur to, when times are good, right, what can we do with that? How can we tax efficiently contribute that to a pension? How can we help build financial advice into your business life? And that's come to a fore with coronavirus with covid a lot of people marie's key line cash flow is king are short on cash Mm. trade has been limited well pensions can help the right kind of business in the right kind of situation in that scenario pensions the right kind of pension can purchase commercial property so if a, a business owner has a commercial property that they are operating from and has funds that they've saved in a pension over time and potentially the ability to top it up, the pension can buy the commercial property. And that means that the cash comes into the business and ongoing, a rent is paid from the company to use the property to the pension scheme. So you become Mm -hmm. renting from yourself. Now, Mm -hmm. that solves a short-term cash flow problem and gives you a long-term asset that you can continue to earn from. It has to be done right. There's all sorts of caveats and checks and making sure it works situationally. But as an entrepreneur, okay, well, actually now my ongoing costs, I've got to pay a bit of rent. Who am I paying that rent to? I'm paying it to myself and I'm paying it in affordable chunks month on month. And we can diversify from there as well. There are other structures as well. And I, I, I've got to be careful. I don't go into formal advice, yeah. but those sorts of elements are there and that's why having the coffee in the conversation is really important 
You mentioned as well from a business owner point of view, selling the business and people coming to you right towards where they're actually looking to sell it. And actually it would benefit if they'd have come a few years before from an exit strategy point of view, because there are different options and, and that sort of stuff available there. And I think exit strategy, particularly for uh, business owners is one of the things they don't tend to think about very much. We talk about it quite a lot, don't we, Dave? But a lot of business owners plow everything in, as you say, into the business and then don't think about what happens when they want to retire or, you know, they get to the end of actually working in the business. So is there different things that you can help and support with from that side of things? A lot of it's the planning and projecting, moving the cash around if there's going to be a disposal. Are we potentially in a place where the entrepreneur's relief thresholds have obviously come down. So how are we disposing of the business? That commercial property play can still come into action. Okay, I'm stepping away from the business, but the business is still going. But I want to hold on to the property. Right, my retirement is actually going to be buying the commercial property and having the business pay me a rent on an ongoing basis. That once again can be structured in the right way. Making the pension contributions is important. Sometimes people don't always step away from the business all in one go. They'll hold some shares and and slowly cede control will be bought out over time. In that scenario, if you don't need the cash, potentially something like a pension scheme can own the shares and that allows you to capture the gain tax free. Mm -hmm. So it really comes down to working with trusted tax professionals like Marie Ellis (laughs) to make sure that you understand the consequences of what each act looks like, but also understanding where your money is going, where are you putting it, how accessible is it going to be, and how liquid are you? Have you got a year's worth of pension? Are you good to go from there? Sometimes if there is a lot of tax to be paid in scenarios, then there are tax-reducing investments. They've got to be in the right place for the right person. But for someone who's also struck really lucky and they're selling their business at two, three, four million, they've hit a gold mine that they're in a really strong position, then we also need to look at the long-term plan, which is death. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. no one wants to think about it, but actually we're in a position where you're coming from a business-relieved environment, business property relief environment, and you're moving away from that now. Your funds, when they're in cash, once you've sold your business, they no longer qualify for business relief. So have you suddenly gone from a, a place of having a massive win, but you're also looking at a significant inheritance tax problem? What can we do to assist that? And there are investments, there are structures. I love IHT planning. It's my my favorite element of doing it because you have to know everything. You have to get into the very core of the person and how they feel about it. I've done plans for people who have got two, three, four million pounds worth of IHT that they would have to pay upon death. Built plans, used lots of diversified structures, had really good conversations. But one at the end of the day came back to me, one client, and said, uh, it's a very complicated, Andy. At the end of the day, the kids will get a drink out of me. That's all they can ask for. And I, I, it stunned me in the meeting. I was like, that is, well, frustrating because I've done a lot of work. Mm. But actually, that is your position. And that is 100% right. I've given you your options. I've given you advice and I've said, look, this is how I would do it. And the client said, you know what? I don't need to do that. It's not me that has to deal with it. It is my my kids and they're going to be well taken care of, even if there is a big chunk of tax to pay. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, working on that is, is very important. Mm-hmm. So one of my concerns, and there's been a, I think it's a TV advert campaign at the moment, 
and certainly it's been on the radio as well, certainly the radio programmes I listen to, where the I think it's a government-sponsored one where it's on about be careful about pension scammers, about people asking you to move stuff around. With the greatest respect, that's a large part of your thing, potentially consolidating ones. You've touched on reasons why you shouldn't because of you know additional benefits mm-hmm. with certain companies, which is great to hear. So I'm obviously not tarring you with, with that brush, but you know, in any marketplace, there are people who, who try and take advantage. So there are effectively scammers who, you know, will try and do that. Come on, tell us. Dodgy folk. D- dodgy folk, thank you. That's the succinct way of saying what I've just said for a five minutes. How do we make sure that we don't have a dodgy person? Yeah, how do we not get scammed? Uh, well, you put me on your show. I mean, there's a mistake <laughs> in the first place. Um, first off, first golden rule for anyone, never accept a cold call. Brilliant. Not to uh, to an individual. That's actually against the law to call up and say, I'm, I'm looking at your pensions. I want to make an investment for you. I've come across this. You have to do it. That's direct selling and marketing. Mm-hmm. Okay, That's not right. It's not generally correct. And it's the sort of thing that you you hear about on the news for people knocking on older people's houses and saying i'm going to come and do your roof oh that's come down we need to get that sorted that isn't where financial advice should come from financial advice should be driven by a need yeah and a, a need and an understanding and if you need some financial advice there are all sorts of trusted websites you can go to pension wise you can look uh, online for a lot of checking websites to check reputations for people and look them up use them they should also be listed on the financial conduct authority website there is a register which they can be checked upon yeah what i would say is that in most cases a consultation will be free to talk about where you are Mm. with a financial advisor and then to look and review anyone who just says oh i know that you just need to move x to y is not giving you a good service, is not actually understanding the issue. Mm. I know that this is better than this without even looking at it. Or how can you? doesn't Mm. work like that in business. doesn't look like that in the rest of life. So there is some legwork that you have to invest some time as a consumer, as well as the advisor has to invest some time to understand the situation. And ask around. Go for a couple of financial advisors. Sometimes it can be a case of who you gel with Mm. and what's the right fit. Is this the person that I need to spend my time speaking to? Because when a financial advisor is engaged, they should be meeting with you annually. Mm-hmm. They should be updating your circumstances. They should be checking the plan in place. And they should also be on the end of the phone should something go wrong, something change, something like that. Right, okay, I need to amend this. I need to know what's going on here. They should be available. In, in times like this, during COVID as an outbreak, my first month in March was spent on the phone talking to people about their investments Mm -hmm. because they were nervous, quite rightly. Uh, And it was trying to give that peace of mind. That's what you should be looking for from your financial advisor. If someone's just saying, sign here, I'm going to get you this, don't worry about it, they're not doing you justice. They're not doing themselves justice, and that isn't financial advice. So that's what I'd say. Shop around. Don't take a cold call if you're at home. If your accountant's recommending you speak to a financial advisor or introducing you to a financial advisor and saying, have a chat, okay? That's usually because there's a relationship that's built up and there's some trust there. Um, So that's sometimes worth a good review. And ask around. Mm. Some of my best clients have actually been referred from my other clients when they've said, I'll tell you what, I've really benefited from this. It really gave me a bit of peace of mind. Can you talk to Dave? Sure. 
no worries. Let's have a chat with Dave. And it may be that there is nothing I can do for you short of go over your circumstances and make a few bits clear. But it could also be that that leads to the next transaction result. My mum's not well. I need to look at her estate. Okay, let's work on that and, and go from there. So a lot of business can be self-generating in that sense. Perfect. Thank you very much. It's all right. The FCA, interestingly, is a very heavily regulated area, isn't it, Andy? So, I mean, more so even than what I do, the amount of hoops and regulations and stuff that you have to jump through. So if you are looking at someone that's registered through the FCA and everything, there's more confidence in what they're doing because of the hoops they have to jump through. So if you're getting a good check, even if you're getting a recommendation from a friend or a family member, it's probably still to check them, I would say, on their website and that sort of stuff for prudence purposes, but I'm an accountant and we're risk adverse and uh, <laughs> we like to we like to check everything through and all of that sort of stuff. So <laughs> Definitely. Uh, it's all about peace of mind. And if you're not comfortable, don't sign it. Yeah. Don't don't go ahead with it. At the end of the day, in most transactions, you're gonna need to provide some authority and a wet signature. And if you're not comfortable with what's happening, then don't sign it. Get another opinion. Say I'm okay with that. A lot of elements that you could sign up for actually have calling off periods of 30 days or 14 days. And actually, if you feel like you've been misled, you've fully got the right to go, nope, I'm not interested in this anymore. I want out. And and that is in your consumer rights. So it seems like a big thing because it is a big thing. Just feel free to, to speak to a couple of extra people and, and be aware that you are going to have to invest some time in it because the advisor is going to need you to answer some questions to give some background. It's not necessarily a flip of a switch, a simple X, Y, Z. There has to be the background and the reasoning and the justification for why you're going to consolidate a pension, why you're going to invest in a certain fund or in a certain way. You just got to make sure it's right. And that's where I would say it comes in the same as having your other sort of trusted advisor type people, your accountants, your solicitors, them being people that you can get on with and work with and have those open conversations that you can build those relationships with. It works the same with financial mm, advice. Exactly. I understand what you're saying. There's that lovely triangle. I can't provide legal advice and I can't provide tax advice. I have to understand how the legalities work and I have to understand how the tax works. Otherwise, I can't do my job. But what that means is I need an individual, a client, to be able to work with a solicitor who understands they can give the legal advice but they can't give the financial advice or the tax advice and the accountant who understands that they understand how this works but they can't recommend a financial product or make a legal decision it's just understanding where your role lies in it i have to be able to calculate capital gains tax loosely to understand how certain situations work or an income tax position but i also then have to say I cannot provide advice on tax circumstances. You need to speak to a, a registered accountant and a, a proper accountant to understand this. And that leads to really good relationships with accountants across the country that I work with and solicitors who say, right, this client needs to understand X, Y, Z. Can you help them out? Sure. That's where a lot of business comes from. That's a little bit what we talked about when we had Lindsay on a few months ago as well. We were talking about that advisor trifecta, basically, which is exactly what you've just described there. Would that be Lindsay Atterbury? It is Lindsay. A lovely Lindsay. Love yes. Lindsay. I love a, a good hat on a Zoom call. That's what it's all about. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> She's great. Brilliant, Andy. Well, thank you so much for your time today. That's flown by. You've gone into a lot of depth, so we really appreciate uh, you giving up some time to join us on the podcast. So thanks very much, mate. 
Pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. And have a good one. Cheers. Need help running your business better? The new Next Steps online course is now out. Follow our steps for success in your business. Please do use the subscribe button so you don't miss out on any new episodes. You can also visit us at www.nextsteps4.biz. That's nextsteps4.biz. Send in your questions and any feedback you have to info at nextsteps4.biz. Otherwise, you can contact us through our social media. You can also find us on LinkedIn at Next Steps for Business. And you can follow us on Twitter at NS4Biz. That's NS, the number four, biz. Thank you. I'll be with you.